2001, a group of 17 software developers got together at a ski resort in Snowbird, Utah. Each member of the group had been experimenting with new techniques for managing software projects. The group discussed their different approaches to software development, discovered their commonalities, and then wrote the Agile Manifesto, which became the basis for Agile software development. A set of frameworks and practices that promoted adaptiveness and response to change in the software world. But how did this framework evolve and stay relevant over time? In this round of cocktails, we talk to the author of The Agile Idea, where we get into the fundamentals of the Agile methodology, how it applies to business management, together with the tools that management can use to collaborate with software developers, and how Agile complements digital transformation. Welcome to Coding Over Cocktails, a podcast by Toro Cloud. Here we talk about digital transformation, application integration, low-code application development, data management, and business process automation. Catch some expert insights as we sit down with industry leaders who share tips on how enterprises can take on the challenge of digital transformation. Take a seat, join us for a round. Here are your hosts, Kevin Montalbo and Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Welcome to episode 51 of the Coding Over Cocktails podcast. My name is Kevin Montalbo, and joining us from Sydney, Australia, is Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Good day, David. Good day, Kevin. All right, our guest for today is a consultant to leading OEMs, enterprises, and entrepreneurial ventures, creating Android-based systems and software. He is the author of the upcoming book, The Agile Idea, Great Management for Great Code, currently available in the Manning Early Access Program. The book explores the why behind Agile techniques, stripping back encrusted doctrine and jargon to reach Agile's core principles. Joining us for a round of cocktails is Zigurd Medniaks. Hi, Zigurd. I hope I didn't boss your name there. Welcome to the show. That's, that's perfectly fine. Uh, thank you for the introduction, and it's uh, a real pleasure to be talking to you guys. Sigurd, you got a, you got a great book there you're, you're working on, The Agile Idea. Um, in, in it, you've, you've mentioned it's available in an uh, early release program with Manny. In it, you mm-hmm. wrote that uh, Agile is the response to the poor applicability of previous management approaches, which I thought was a great uh, way to start the conversation. What are those poor project management practices that you're referring to? And has Agile addressed those those poor principles? Right. I mean, Agile uh, came out of sort of a crisis in project management. Uh, Project management uh, emerged as a field of uh, systems analysis in the uh, 1950s and 1960s and developed a lot of very good methods for doing things like building the Hoover Dam and and the Trident submarines and uh, the space program and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it worked very well for for projects and particularly projects that are a little bit more mundane, like uh, building ships and building skyscrapers and things like that, because those are projects where you're doing things that you've done many times previously. You're just doing them in a different configuration. And with that systems analysis approach, you could uh, do things that are called, um, for example, a critical path analysis. And that's where you take all of the tasks in your project and you write careful descriptions of those tasks. And you, based on experience, know what kinds of resources you're going to need to complete those tasks. And you have a pool of resources and you have a pool of tasks and you have some dependencies among those tasks. Like you have to 
put in the wiring and the plumbing before you put up the uh, wall board in a building. And uh, you connect together the dependencies of these tasks and you make sure that you're not overscheduling the resources that you need to complete them. And, uh, you know, in a tool like Microsoft Project, uh, it can do automatic resource leveling, which is quite a sophisticated thing in project management. And you can come up with a really exquisite uh, project schedule analysis. And when things like Mac Project and Microsoft Project appeared, people started applying these tools to software development. And it was way better than nothing. Yes. But they, but they found fairly quickly that they had to replan their projects very frequently compared to other kinds of projects. There was something about software development that was fundamentally different, that was screwing things up so that every two or three weeks, you had to go through this whole critical path analysis again. Yeah, and so that, that, and I guess you said like there's the the original project management principles were great for yeah buildings and large infrastructure projects and that kind of industrial age type project management. The software was kind of different, right? So with the with, there's not repeat not repeatable processes where we're building something new. Is that is that why it's not the same principles aren't applicable? That's right. So in software development. Pardon me while I pour my cocktail for. That's okay. It is coating over cocktails. That's right. So I have a very nice. Oh, martini. martini. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Even better. Yes. So that that turned out to be the problem in, mm. in that if you're doing the same thing in software, why didn't you just reuse the software that you already did? Mm. So in software, you're doing, you're solving new problems every day. You're doing new things every day. Uh, even the descriptions of what you should be doing might be off because you haven't done it before. So you run into many more surprises in, in a software development project. And there's a really interesting thing about Agile that is underappreciated in the study of Agile. And that is that uh, when you do iteration towards the goal of project completion, what you're doing is you are allocating your people to tasks in a tactical way. You're not doing this critical path analysis where you need 17 plumbers because you're building a 40 story building and you need five wallboard guys and, and all of that. You can't make estimates like that when you're developing software. And so what you do instead of this kind of exquisite beginning to end project planning, you assign people on a tactical basis to the tasks that you need to accomplish that in that iteration. And by giving up the precision of previous software, uh, of previous project management styles, what you get is something that's much more effective for software. And people who graduate from these two-week agile boot camps, they never learn that. And it's a very powerful idea. So if, if, a, if we can impart that idea to people who are managing software development projects, I think they're going to have a lot more success at doing it. You mentioned those boot camps. So there are a lot of training, like instant agile training type resources available out there. Mm -hmm. what, what are they missing and how are you addressing those? Uh, well, it's not so much that they're missing things. It's just that they're organized uh, toward the goal of getting you a certification as efficiently as possible. Mm. And it does teach you how to execute the scrum model of project management uh, very quickly. And, you know, training is, is, is a good thing. Training gets a lot of things done in this world. 
but once you've gotten that training and you walk into a room full of coders who think that you're just a newbie who's walked out of a boot camp, uh, they might be a little hostile to you. And you need to be able to, to uh, tell them why you're doing the things that you're doing. And that's another reason why I wrote this book. Yeah, so because you mentioned that um, when you have a, a newbie who's just perhaps done a, an agile course, may come into a you know, project manager software solution and start throwing around agile jargon mm -hmm. uh, to the, the developers, uh, which may not necessarily be effective. It's, it's perhaps more important that they understand the principles of why Agile was developed in the first place. That's right. And, and if you look at Scrum, there's a considerable amount of, of backlash at Scrum. And a lot of it has to do with the jargon. Hmm. Because the jargon tends to alienate people who are outsiders to that, side of, that kind of project management. Uh, you know, you have a, a stand-up, you have a parking lot. Those are all meetings. Uh, meetings should all have agendas. They should all have uh, action items at the ends of them that people actually perform. Uh, so it's, yeah, and, you know, none of those terms are, are in the manifesto for agile software development or in the 12 agile principles that go with it. So, uh, you know, you can strip agile down to the manifesto, start from there and build up uh, to the things that you need to have uh, for a particular situation. Uh, there was recently an article about how project management is done at uh, Facebook and uh, project management and product management. And really the product managers uh, focus on being product managers and product management is a, uh, it's an elite pursuit in a lot of businesses uh, in any sort of consumer oriented business. It is, you're, you're really the boss of a product. You're the CEO of a product. And it's your objective to make the best product uh, in that category. And uh, project management in, in those, uh, in the uh, FANG, so to speak, uh, the Facebook uh, and so on, high, large high-tech companies, that's left largely to the engineers. And they will, they will do agile, but they'll customize it to their own needs and the way that they work. So you're not getting the kinds of formalisms in those environments that you get in a lot of enterprise software development environments. And I think those enterprise software development environments can benefit from stripping Agile down to the principles and then customizing it for their particular needs. Yeah, I'd like to, to talk about this a bit more because in your book, you, are, you do sort of talk a lot about the uh, adoption of Agile principles within the enterprise and how it um, yeah, there's this concept now of safe this scaled agile framework uh, which is a set of organizational work workflow patterns for implementing agile in an enterprise and yet uh, you don't seem to be a big fan of safe and and and, no. and can you tell me, can you run me through what it is you don't like about that that um, a framework and what were you suggesting instead? Sure. Um, well, if if Scrum is getting pushback among uh, software developers and people who are uh, in a project that is run according to uh, Scrum, the Scrum recipe, um, Safe is is a is an enormous elaboration of Scrum. Uh, the uh, official Safe website 
has this absolutely horrifying five-layer diagram right on the landing page uh, that looks like uh, you know the the unholy uh, result of the uh, the result of an unholy union of uh, many PowerPoint decks uh, in many different enterprises, mm. and it's it's counterproductive because uh, agile jargon or the jargon that is accumulated around agile tends to isolate project teams, and if you try and push that jargon into all aspects of of an enterprise. Uh, you're going to get a lot of pushback. You're going to get, uh, you know, a lot of uh, sniggering among people who know how to run that enterprise and know what they're doing uh, and don't really enjoy having a bunch of software guys trying to tell them how to run their enterprise differently. Uh, mm. So, you know, th this is another reason why I wrote this book is that uh, by being able to strip Agile down to the principles and, and the fundamentals, uh, and then understanding the way people in an enterprise run their business, that's going to be a much more fruitful way of spreading uh, agile software development practice through an enterprise. Well, uh, I mean, there are companies which are large enterprises as well as software developers, companies like yeah, Microsoft's, Google's, and Facebook's, mm -hmm. uh, and pre presumably have adopted agile principles in their software development. Are, they, are the same organizations adopting safe for their organizational practices? Uh, no, notably they're not. So again, you know, uh, they're not even adopting the formalisms of Scrum or, or uh, Kanban, uh, though they might be doing Scrum or Kanban in effect, right? So um, they might be doing iterations that kick off with a meeting and end with a retrospective. They might be uh, continuously taking tasks off the to-do list and putting them into their workflow. Uh, but they're not doing Scrum or Kanban in a formal way. And much less would they be doing SAFE in a formal way. And this is what you're arguing in your book, is take some of the principles of Agile, but adopt them to what suits your organization. Is that right? That's right, yes. Hmm. And this also comes into, you know, that, that, that Agile is not perfect. It was uh, written by a bunch of men who run software projects in the 1980s or 1990s. And um, I think one of the key projects that uh, influenced um, uh, XP, uh, Extreme Programming, which was uh, sort of one of the uh, factors that went into the formulation of Agile, uh, that was a... Um, <clears throat> I believe, a, an employee payroll program at uh, Chrysler Motors. So if you imagine a, a, you know, an American car maker running mainframe software to run their payroll program and managing a project like that, right? That's, that's a pretty retro environment uh, compared to the way software is developed these days. And uh, Agile, you know, the Agile principles have endured remarkably well, but they contain clunkers like, uh, you know, the, the software people ought to talk to the business people face to face every day. And that's, that's faulty in a number of dimensions. First of all, every person in a business is a business person, and they should be internalizing the goals of that business, whether they write software or whether they bill people or sell things or whatever it is they do. So 
you know, agile isn't perfect. You you need to be able to understand and talk to the people in your business whose job it is to turn capital into profit. That's what senior management's job is. And you need to understand that if you are in the business of creating software in that enterprise. You can see where the confusion comes though, can't you? Because we talk about the you know, the agile organization being fast to respond to market and adopting agile principles. Every company is now a software company in order to, uh, you know, produce the widgets that they produce. Um, software is eating the world. All of these things kind of suggest that now every organization is a software company and that you should run it as such. Uh, but you're arguing that the business people are quite separate from the software development and their processes should be different as well? Um, not really. I don't think so. I, I think that uh, people who create software need to understand the priorities of the people who manage the company and deploy the resources of the company to various goals, including software development. Mm -hmm. And the people who are in senior management need to have a better understanding of software. And in part, that means making that process more accessible to them. Now, uh, you know, we we talked about this a little bit before I came on this program to, to talk to you about this. And one thing I, I didn't realize was that um, you guys are in the business of uh, doing API gateways and things like that. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So one of the things about SAFE is that SAFE makes an attempt to make software understandable uh, by using UML diagrams. And UML diagrams have been around, I don't know, since the 90s or earlier, uh, since object-oriented programming uh, was seemed to be the way, you know, object-oriented programming and modeling seemed to be the way to make uh, structures and software understandable to other people. You have this taxonomy of objects and, uh, you can say, well, you know, vehicles are, are things that move about and, and cars have four wheels and some trucks have six and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was interesting, but it turns out that's not really the best way to be designing software. And it was a little bit naive way of, of trying to make software understandable to other people. And one of the chapters in my book is uh, trying to find an alternative to that. And if you look at API gateways, API gateways let you do very interesting things like uh, model your APIs before you implement them fully and document them and even create sandboxes for people to play around with them so that your coding team, your front end people can start coding the front end before your back end people are done coding the back end. And it's very useful. Uh, but, the, you know, a lot of these things are, are very approachable as well. If you've got your API designed and documented and you've got a sandbox going that can return sample results, uh, it doesn't really take a coder to go in there and understand what's going on. You can see uh, what the data behind your application is. You can see what parts of the API are going to manipulate that data. Uh, you're, you know, the web is made of APIs. It's made of get and put requests uh, and the parameters of those requests. And if you can understand what those do, you can really understand the ground truth behind a software system. So there are ways of, of making software accessible to people who aren't software developers. 
And, uh, you know, part of the book, once you get past the basics of what's compatible with software development, what's compatible with agile uh, methods of project management, uh, I explore a lot of things uh, that have to do with management techniques in general, like seven-step problem solving, like decision trees, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, what can you do to make software accessible to people outside of the development team? So it's, you know, you can do a digital transformation and uh, you can try to do something like SAFE, which is very PowerPoint friendly and have a lot of meetings and, you know, people will go away kind of happy about it for a little while until they realize that, huh, I don't really understand how this works. Or you can get to the fundamentals of it and, and make the software people closer to management decision-making and vice versa, get management more involved in uh, what the capabilities of their software is. I wanted to talk to you more about this, about the, the boundaries between uh, management and the developers. And, and you, you brought up the API um, mm-hmm. application. So let's, let's talk about that. So in a, in a, when you're developing an API, you often get the uh, stakeholders of the API involved, which are normally business people, uh, involved in that design process. And it is a business-friendly sort of process because <clears throat> API design is about you know, how consumers want, what data they need to see and what sort of, you know, to produce their reports or analysis or whatever it may be. In some cases, it might be another system accessing that API. Let's assume for the time being, there's a business person wanting to consume data. So they, they might get involved in that design process. And the, as you say, the implementation process is can be then once the design is finalized be done by the the back-end developers so that's kind of a, a, a clear distinction of roles between the business user getting involved in that design process and the developer then going off and going doing the implementation uh, as i understand it in your book you argue that that interaction between the business user and the developer should be uh, distinct phases of the project, and it shouldn't be ongoing on a daily pros- on a daily basis throughout the project. Is that right? Um, not not exactly. Uh, it's more that uh, the the agile principles admonition that you should interact face to face every day is unsustainable and unrealistic. Um, you know, you have to be able to uh, both integrate the way people who are developing the software think with the way the people who are running the business think. Um, But you can't be, you know, talking to each other every day without a framework for what you're going to accomplish by that. Mm -hmm. And so um, the boundaries between at what level should management be involved in this agile Mm -hmm. process and, and you giving them some, uh, some tool sets to, to get involved. Uh, so what do you, what are you recommending? That's right. And, and that's why uh, software development people need to explore frameworks for uh, interacting with management. Mm-hmm. A lot of times management will have very sophisticated uh, financial analysis tools. You know, for example, in, in the pharmaceuticals industry, there's a thing uh, that's that's fairly widely used called real options analysis. So if you're developing a drug, you're not going to know how effective that drug is when you start developing it. And you're going to learn things along the way. 
And at each critical milestone in a project, which is, you know, very applicable to software development, you're going to find out things about how well your project is doing and what the likely outcomes are going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, real options analysis is, is a very formalized way of doing it. It's uh, based on financial options and how uh, values are calculated for financial options. And if you're, you know, if you're developing a drug that costs maybe tens to hundreds of millions of dollars to develop, uh, it's worth uh, getting your, your MBAs on the task of uh, formulating a real options analysis uh, as, as your development project hits certain milestones. And you can, you can set, you, you might not know for certain what the outcome will be, but you can adjust what you think the odds of certain outcomes are. And on the basis of that, you can calculate the value of the project and you can decide to put more money in it or less money in it or stretch it out over a longer time. And you should be able to do similar things to software development projects. You might not want to use real options analysis, but uh, there's a less formalized approach uh, using decision trees that you can do to achieve roughly the same thing for a software development project. So as you hit things like the minimum viable product in a software development project and you start to get feedback, mm-hmm. you can make decisions about future investment in that project. Interesting. And you also go through some exercises in the book uh, to suggest an organization using an agile methodology undertake. Uh, and they can ask senior management certain questions, such as what would you create or change in a product to displace a competitor from a share of the market? Uh, that kind of thinking uh, is kind of the thinking that goes on a digital transformation uh, process, is getting people to think outside the boundary and think of new and innovative ways to deal with the customers uh, and other stakeholders. Is agile and uh, digital transformation, are they complementary? Are they one and the same thing? Well, I think uh, that, you know, the concept of software is eating the world is, is really true. It's, it's almost an understatement mm. and that everyone is on the road to digital transformation, whether they like it or not. Uh, you know, if you make bricks, you probably need software to tell you things about how your bricks are used and where they're needed and how they've performed and how your supply chain works and what ingredients you need for your bricks and how long it takes to get them that kind of thing. Uh, and so even if you make something as inert as a brick, uh, you're going to be making software and that's going to be part of your competitive advantage. And hence the, why it's become essential for the management to have these tools which you've developed, which enable them to, to manage this software development process without right. actually necessarily speaking the, the agile lingo or jargon. That's right. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the last chapter of your book, which is currently still being finished off, you have titled it, and now you're at the beginning. So I'm guessing that's suggesting that the Agile process is an ongoing iterative process of continuous improvement. Is that what you're leading towards there? Yes, and there's really no limit to the learning that you can undertake to uh, improve your software development processes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the, the, the book starts out by um, 
laying out the fundamentals of, of Agile, you know, why it was needed, why it's better than what came before, so that you can justify the use of Agile for software project management. Uh, and then it goes into certain things that are very likely to be applicable uh, to software development, things like uh, decision tree analysis as you proceed through a project. Um, but that's not the end of the road because every enterprise is different. Every enterprise has different aspects that really can't be generalized. And you have to develop the critical thinking skills to identify those things that are going to be good for software development or not good for software development uh, in your particular enterprise. So for example, there are things like uh, statistical quality analysis that are wonderful for manufacturing. That's what, you know, revolutionized manufacturing. That's why you can buy a Korean car that is, you know, more precisely built than, than a Mercedes, right? Because it used to be that, uh, you know, you had this sort of mythology that Germans made uh, cuckoo clocks and therefore they're great at building cars. Um, but really, it, it, you know, W. Edwards Deming uh, realized that, no, what you really want is to be able to uh, determine whether or not you've got a, an acute problem in your uh, factory or a systemic problem in your factory uh, by sampling the goods that are coming out of your factory and determining, uh, you know, what the problem is and where it comes from. And that, you know, in, you know, in tightening and tightening your manufacturing tolerances is going to make your manufacturing process more resilient uh, because you can, you know, have a little bit of variation in it, but it's not going to matter because your tolerances are so tight that uh, whatever variation you have isn't going to make a difference in the final product. Mm -hmm. That doesn't apply to software at all. You can't mm -hmm. do that with software. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are, there are things like, uh, agile metrics that you should be very skeptical of. Uh, you know, story points are unitless measures. Mm. So velocity, which is story points per unit time, is just the inverse of time. It makes no sense, right? So when you try to do things like that, uh, you're, you're really trying to import things into agile that don't belong there. They're not applicable to software. Uh, Lean Six Sigma is another example of a management fad that sort of metastasized. Uh, lean manufacturing was a brilliant idea. People discovered that uh, accounting systems are very bad at finding idle capital that is accumulated in work in progress and parts and stuff like that that sort of accumulates in your factory. And Lean goes after those things and finds them and sweats them out of the, the process. And you can discover millions or tens of millions of dollars in capital that had been lying around. That doesn't apply to software, you know? Yeah. So, you know, your Lean Six Sigma black belts are just a plague on software development if they, if they show up and try to apply that stuff. Uh, so, you know, there's, there, there are things that are good for software and things that are bad for software and only continuous learning and critical thinking skills are going to help you identify which is which. It's really interesting. We've spoke, spoken to a number of authors over the last 50 odd programs on coding over cocktails and, 
And a number of those have gone back to the very origins of their discipline, in your case, project management and agile and how it's evolved, but critically why it was evolved, where it came from and the reasons for it. And it means it's often resulted in more critical thinking in terms of the adaption of those principles in today's world. It seems like you've come up some, with something which is in use by most organisations around the world today, but in this book you make us rethink our adoption of those principles in terms of an organisational project management framework. When, when do you think the uh, book will be published in its final form? <laughs> uh, well, I'm also an advocate of no estimates. So, uh, <laughs> my, my, you can whenever you feel like it. <laughs> that's right. My, my publisher would like it to, to come out before the end of the year, but uh, okay. we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Well, uh, for those that have a Manning subscription, it is available in the early access program. Um, Zigard, it's, it's been a pleasure to talking talking to you. Some really interesting concepts there. Critically, some really uh, interesting tools that you developed in the book, uh, which management can apply uh, within their organisation. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure. Hey, listeners, hope you had a wonderful time listening to that episode. For those who stuck around, we've got a very special surprise for you. We're giving away a copy of Zigurd's book, The Agile Idea, courtesy of Manning. Simply follow us on Twitter at ToroCloud, like and retweet our contest post. Listeners of our podcast also get a 35% discount code for all of Manning's products in all formats. Just use the promo code PODCOCKTAILS21, that's P-O-D cocktails 21 to get a 35% discount. To our listeners, what did you think of this podcast episode? Let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Please visit our website at torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. On behalf of the team here at Toro Cloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!